<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. In order for us to do business with the smaller community banks, they first have to apply. And we have to be able to encourage them to apply. So we need to take away these burdens. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is former insurance executive turned state representative, now city treasurer and working mom, Melissa Conyers-Irvin. Welcome and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Fran, for having me. I mentioned the working mom role because you almost needed to cancel your appearance on my show today because of a crisis that happened at your daughter's school. Why don't you tell us about that? Absolutely. I I tell people all the time why I think it is just so important for um, women, working mothers to support each other. And certainly I understand just like any other working mother in the city of Chicago, my daughter is in kindergarten and I was so excited about her starting kindergarten and going to school all day. To my surprise, after just a few days of the school um, beginning, I got a call that there was a case in her classroom and now they will be transitioning all of a sudden at the last minute, come and get your daughter. They're going to be transitioning to virtual school for the next two weeks. Yikes. Uh, What am I supposed to do? I have a full calendar, you name it. But guess what? Just like any other working mother, I am somehow friend going to work it out. But I'm going to balance the plates in the air and spin them all at once and hope that not one of them comes crashing down in your face. Right. Even if it's sometimes Zoom crashing and she putting signs up behind my back doing the video. Guess what? We all understand and we know that, you know, there is no roadmap for this pandemic. We're all doing the best that we can. But I always say that these type of situations just really prove to me just how normal my life is and just how important it is for me to feel what others are feeling. And these experiences, please know that I'm feeling it. (laughs) Okay. And what was the first day like? I remember when I took my son to the first day of kindergarten, I was in tears. He wasn't. He just turned around and just went right with the teacher. Were you in tears? You know what? Um, I wasn't in tears. Um, surprisingly enough, because she was just so happy and she was running. And so I just, you know, you get emotional because you can't believe it's five years already. But then you also get emotional because you're thinking, oh, my gosh, she's only five years old. I have a long time to go (laughs) with years of school. So you could cry for two reasons, I guess. 
<laughs> yeah, but there's a feeling of turning your child who has looked only to you up until that point for everything and values and so on and input and that suddenly you're turning your child over to the world to raise and that you won't be the number one person in their life, maybe, or for at least part of the day. Well, one thing for certain is that just like it, like you're saying, just like any other mother, I certainly cover her and just, you know, just keep her lifted. And just certainly I pray and just pray that she will be protected because like you said, it's not easy and you are entrusting your most valuable asset to basically a stranger, right? So, um, you know, we, we just, try to do the best that we can and, and just hope for the best. And we certainly appreciate the teachers and staff. Oh my gosh, everything that they are enduring. And I think about that too. Like when I got the phone call yesterday and I just took a step back at first, of course, it was just a huge damper on me trying to think about my schedule the next couple of weeks. And then I thought, you know, I think about the teachers and everything that they do on a daily basis, especially, again, no roadmap for this pandemic. I tell you, we're all in this together. This is a time for us to be unified, if no other. And again, yeah. and let me while while I'm at it and I'll get off this soapbox, we have to get vaccinated. You know, right now, unfortunately, you know, my daughter is five years old. She cannot get vaccinated. They're not approved yet. But for all of us that can, we really have to be vaccinated to be able to protect our kids and, and, our, and, and our most vulnerable population. Yeah. Why is there still hesitancy? And particularly in some areas of the of South and West Sides, there is a very low rate of uh, vaccination. What is it, like 40 percent or less? Uh, why is that? Well, we know that it's because of history. We know that, unfortunately, you bring up, you know, Tuskegee Project. project. Sure, you, sure. You bring up so many things. We we think about even, you know, I was reading a book in my book club, Henrietta Lacks. You name it. There, there's a ton of experiences that we have either experienced or heard of. And those things, in, in addition to just, Government period, right? The lack of trust with minorities in government and minorities just feeling as if more could be done for them. I mean, you name it. There, there's so many reasons. But Fran, at the end of the day, you know, we have to say this is a new day, right? And this virus was not selected just for black and brown. It was selected for all. And so obviously it's not going to make sense for everyone that gets the virus to, you know, to be, you know, it's for it to be a negative effect. If it's for the mass, it's certainly to protect the mass and for the betterment of our society. And so I do my best friend to try to, to try to bring along my family. I'll give you a great example. I, my nephews, I have three nephews and they're all under 30 years old. And matter of fact, they're like probably within that population that's the lowest um, population as far as getting vaccinated. Well, guess what I did? I put my nephews in the car and I, I first of all, I made the appointment. <laughs> I told them we were going. They did not fight because they trust me and my decision for them. I took them to their appointment and for both of their appointments for their shots, and they are all vaccinated. But guess what, Fran? I had to step up and I had to make those um, calls and take that initiative. I have a feeling if I did not do that, they probably would not be vaccinated today. 
Well, good for you. Did you have to drag them by the earlobe? <laughs> I was surprised, but I didn't. But guess what, Fran? I was prepared to drag them by the earlobes if I had to, because this is that important. And so I would encourage parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, friends, we have to do just that with this population that is saying they do not want to get vaccinated. Guess what? I got vaccinated. I know tons of others got, that got vaccinated. Some people had like, you know, some different feelings after the shot where they may have felt a little under the weather or what, a day or two after that? They were great. Everything was all good. I felt great. I had no side effects, but we're all fine. So there's nothing to worry about. As a matter of fact, we know that over 99% of those that are, are gravely ill from COVID-19 are the ones that are not vaccinated. We got to get vaccinated because the opposite of what we see right now, the opposite of what could happen if you're not vaccinated is too terminal. And we do not want to see that anymore. Now, so you were you. raised by a single mom. You're married to, to Westside Alderman Jason Irvin. Both of you are working parents with demanding jobs. How are you going to balance this next two weeks with your daughter at home? Certainly going to take a tag team, as we have, have learned. And, you know, this keeps us humble. This keeps us grounded. And, you know, Fred, it's interesting because a lot of people ask us all the time, you know, you all are just out here in the community all the time. How, how are you so grounded? And sometimes we look at them and we're like, do you know our lives? We have this young girl. We're living on the west side of Chicago. We're both, we both have extremely demanding jobs and we're doing the best that we can, just like any other family. And so I think that that's an important question that you asked and it's going to be difficult, no doubt. But I know that I'm not the only parent that has to make these adjustments. I know that we're not the only parents that that our lives are just shifted and changed from moment to moment when we have these children that are in the school system. And unfortunately, they're a vulnerable population because they're not vaccinated. So has wow, it changed I, your opinion about in-person school and the safety of it? You know, it has not changed my opinion. I know that, and I said this in the beginning, and I do stand by this, there is no roadmap. I believe that the teachers, the administrators are doing the best that they can. And so they're trying to present some type of normalcy to bring our kids in person. And then unfortunately, um, because of the situation that we don't have inoculation rate as we should, um, and unfortunately, some of the kids, you know, are getting affected and we are just dealing with what we can. And if I was looking in the news of how many Schools across the state, just like, you know, the call I got yesterday, so many schools across the state are experiencing the same thing. But, you know, what do we do? All we can do is take one day at a time. So I, I think that the teachers and administrators are just really trying to do just that, take one day at a time and assess it as they go. This week, retiring Inspector General Joe Ferguson completed a troubling audit that impacts your office. It concluded that Chicago continues to deposit millions of tax dollars in banks that engage in predatory lending practices because 
The city's Department of Finance is not using the tools at its disposal to stop it. These are banks that are called municipal depositories. They've long been accused, as you know, and you've said it yourself, of investing far more money in white, majority white neighborhoods than they have in communities of color. There was a study by WBEZ most recently that said banks lend 12 cents in black neighborhoods and 13 cents in Hispanic neighborhoods for every $1 they lend in white neighborhoods. And yet the city has what they call a responsible banking ordinance that requires banks to talk about the uh, this uh, that get city deposits to reveal detailed information about their lending practices. And the audit showed that although the city collects this information, they're really not evaluating it. So what good is it? What was your reaction to that audit? What should be done about it? Surely this can't come as a surprise to you. It's absolutely no surprise to me. As a matter of fact, when I received the report on that audit, um, I was a bit surprised because since I've taken office in May of 2019, we've been working on these very issues. I mean, these issues are absolutely no surprise. Um, and, and I do want to correct something because I actually saw a newspaper article about um, the IG report in talking about predatory lending. And I want to be specific on this because um, it was actually referring to unfair lending practices in regards to equity in lending. So I just want to make certain that we're clear. We're talking about equity in lending. We're talking about lending to black and brown communities, and that is specific. So it's a little bit different than predatory lending. Um, What's, the really difference? What's the difference? What's the difference? Absolutely. So equity in lending, we're talking about modern day red line, where, as you mentioned, that for every dollar spent in a white neighborhood, they spent, what, 12 or 13 cents in black or um, Latino neighborhoods. So when you talk about um, predatory lending, you're talking about abusive loan terms. You're talking about we're oh, talking about it. we're not even, we're talking about we're not even getting the loan right. We're yeah, talking about black right. people not getting the loan, so we can't even get to the point of predatory lending. We're talking about their lack equity in lending. So I just I do want to be specific with that, and I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, okay. And one of the things Ferguson said was that the three entities, the city council, the city treasurer's office, and the Department of Finance are not working in coordination uh, to, to, to make changes here or to discuss alternate banking alternatives, like, for example, using credit unions or doing something different. Why not? And what are you going to do different as a result of this? So let's so let me back up to your original question because I would I do want to talk about what we're doing and why I was a, a bit surprised by the timing of this IG report because again since May 2019 since I've been in office this is something that we've been working on and I'll tell you how um, actually when the WBEZ report even came up just last year in 2020 this is a, this is a whole entire year before this audit report that when the WBEZ report came out. If you remembered, that is the time when State Treasurer Ferrix and I formed the Advancing Equity and Banking Commission, where we pulled together all of the big chiefs of the banking institutions of Chicago to say, we have to do something. 
what was what was even more alarming to me in the WBEZ report when it spoke about one white neighborhood, I believe it was a Lincoln Park area, one white neighborhood received more loans than all black neighborhoods combined in Chicago. Fran, I could have hit the rough. That is beyond alarming. And and so it was important that we brought all of the parties together, which we did in 2020 of last year. And so since then, there has been so many initiatives that we have brought into place. In, a, in, in addition to the city council members, I'll tell you this, you know, I have been very happy to see the eagerness of the city council members to say, hey, this municipal depository is older than some of us in this city council, and we have to make a change. And so the city council members, along with myself as the treasurer, along with the Department of Finance comptroller, have been working together hand in hand, I would say probably even over better than a year, trying to make certain that we address this. And here's ways that have already been worked on and things that we're doing and changes have already been made even before this IG report came out. So like, for instance, I testified before the um, chairman Wagasback in the department of fine in the committee on finance. Um, I believe it was about April or May of this year. And we spoke about the municipal municipal depository process, because as you know, Fran, and as the IG report um, points out, Actually, as a treasurer, I'm not necessarily a part of the of the application process. I'm not necessarily a part of who is chosen to be a municipal depository. And by the way, for those listening, municipal depository is simply the bank that holds our money. That's simply and what it's it a is. lot of money, nine and a half billion dollars. But actually, they don't hold all of that. No, so they, 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 they split it up between 13 banks, right? No, actually, we have another process, Fran. This is this is very educational. So thank you. So we do more than just invest in banking institutions. We actually invest in broker dealers as well, where we are working with organizations, firms, investment firms. We do investments as well, um, Fran, outside of banking institutions. And actually, most of our money is outside of, of traditional bank accounts, and it's actually within investment. So that's it's it, it, and and to be even more specific, and I'm probably just going to keep talking because that's what I do, Fran. I like to educate, but we typically hold maybe about two hundred out of the eight and a half billion dollars as a custodian for taxpayers' dollars that I hold. Out of eight and a half billion, we probably hold about two hundred and fifty million to four hundred million um, on average on a daily basis with banks. That's a very I small see. percentage, eight and a half billion. Yeah, it's a small percentage, but it means a lot to them. And shouldn't we be depositing our money, the city's money? Shouldn't the city be putting its money where its mouth is in the sense that in banks that do lend to these neighborhoods that need it most so that blacks and Hispanics can get home loans and home improvement loans and business loans and home repair loans, all that stuff. So let me so let's address all of this. Right. Because. Um, pre to this IG report, this is exactly what we've been working on. And and I do have to say this because I have to give credit to the city council, to the comptroller of their partnership with me along the way. And as I mentioned to you, I, I'm really not a part of the process that choose the banks that we will do business with. That is Should actually you be? the application. Should you be? Well, guess what? Right now, I have led an initiative 
for a municipal depository task force to change the way municipal depositories apply to do business with us. Guess what? Complete partnership with city council and the comptroller. So I've certainly taken the initiative, Fran, because I see that really changes need to be made. There is a need for change. And the city council has been talking about this. And certainly the comptroller has been more than willing to help. And I'll also pull the mayor's office into this. Um, just last month, the mayor's office, and, and I'm just and I'm just painting a roadmap for you to see what we've been doing and how it's going to be key for these partnerships to work together to make these changes. I mentioned to you about the municipal depository task force that I am leading in partnership with city council as well as the comptroller to change the way we choose banks, that the city chooses banks to do business with. That's number one. And this is over a 70-year-old process we're talking about that needs to be changed. But also number two, just last month, the mayor's office initiated legislation on my behalf to change the collateralization rate. And let me tell you what that means, collateralization percentage for banks. Some people may not understand exactly why that is so important. Previously, in order for a banking institution to hold our funds, they had to collateralize those funds at 102%. Well, some may say, well, isn't 100% enough? You just want to make certain that your money, well, what does collateralization mean? That means we want to make certain that our money is protected, right? FDIC only goes up to $250,000. So if we have you know, um, $400 million in the bank or $200 million in the bank, obviously, how, how is that going to be secured? We have to go beyond FDIC secure. So that means that we're asking the bank to collateralize those deposits. Well, if we're asking for, for you to collateralize it more than what's it even valued at, at 100%, what the banks are telling us is, especially smaller banks, Fran, they can't afford that. Because that's money that they're not able to lend out to the community. That's money that they're not able to make enough more money off of to help them stay in business. Well, that was a burden and that was a cost to them. So I initiated legislation that the mayor's office um, presented on my behalf, which changed just last month, again, before this IG report, just last month, it changed from 102% to 100%. Now, this is even before the task force, the Municipal Depository Task Force is completed and all of our research and, and changes that we're proposing. This is before all of this has even taken place. We felt like there was low-hanging fruit that we can address right now to encourage more smaller community banks to apply. Because, Fran, in order for us to do business with the smaller community banks, they first have to apply. And we have to be able to encourage them to apply. So we need to take away these burdens. That is and so did that pass? Yes, it did pass. With, uh, and, with flying and will that make a difference? Will it make a difference? Are these smaller banks in the community more willing to lend to their own community and lift it up? Well, we know that history has shown us that the smaller community banks do tend to loan more within our community. We do know that, which is why we want to encourage them to apply to become a municipal depository so that we can give them more money to lend. That's what it's all about. We want to help our community. So, and so you're hoping really that this will ultimately result in more lending well, in, in black and brown communities? 
Well, one thing that I've learned throughout my, my tenure, you know, you, you mentioned I was a professional before I even became um, state representative, then city treasurer. I, I was in corporate America for, for over a decade. One thing I learned in corporate America, most of the time, there's not just one, one solution, one way of solving a problem. And so I have to be mindful of that. I think that it's going to be a combination of things to promote these banks. And so we just have to do what we think that we can based upon the feedback from banks. And that's why we have to listen to them and bring them to the table. But we have to, I think it's going to be a combination of things. I think that the collateral, collateralization change is a step one. We'll can see how the city divest from these banks with racist lending patterns? The well, ones, the you know, the ones, the big banks. Can we do that? Well, the best way to do it is to have other banks to put money in. Right now, we're still trying to encourage other banks to apply. We have to so be you're able saying to it's dangerous money. to pull our money out of these big banks until we have the replacement banks. What I'm saying is we have to put our money in an institution that is approved. First of all, that applies. Second, approved by city council. And then once that list is presented to me, at that point, those are the banking institutions that we can do business with. Right now, that we have to encourage, and, and guess what we're going to do? As a matter of fact, I, I committed to doing this um, at the um, Committee on Finance with the city council members. I told the city council members, please let me know what your neighborhood banks are. I want to reach out to them personally. Fred, I don't even know if any treasurer has ever done this in history. This is how intimately involved I am with this process. I am just being non-traditional at this point because I think that's what it's going to take. And I want to get involved from step one. And so I want to encourage these banks to apply. I want to let them know about the collateralization change in case they're not familiar with that. Let them know about the task force that we are working on. I want their feedback, but I also want to encourage them to apply. So I'm going to be making some calls myself to make certain that we are inclusive. So, Fran, I'll tell you, we're making the necessary steps and we're certainly hoping that it will make a difference because our residents... It's not fair. They should have access to capital. And guess what? And I say this all the time. We want to do business with people that want to do business with all of our residents. There are 77 neighborhoods in Chicago, and it is only fair that 77 neighborhoods have access to capital. And so you have, uh, you've had in the last census an 85,000 drop in the African-American population of Chicago. Is this one of the reasons why, why are black residents fleeing Chicago, continuing to for the second straight census and for decades now, really? Is it the crime? Is it the schools? Is it the jobs? Is it the lending? Is it all of the above? What is it and what's the answer? It's probably many reasons, all of the above and more. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, as a young woman raised by a single mother of three girls, you know, I was born in Inglewood, raised on the West Side. I understand. I know the challenges of working families, but I know the challenges, more importantly, of Black families, of minority families. There are so many challenges. And so it's hard. It's overwhelming, especially single-parent households. And so I'll just say it's a number of reasons. But, Fran, the reason that I am so excited to be the treasurer at a time such as this is because being elected as treasurer for the residents, I 
feel like I was elected to be their voice, their voice to the banking institutions that for decades have had unfair lending practices for decades. I am being able to be in a position, I am able to be in a position to help residents in a way that they have not received. And so certainly we have this eight and a half billion dollar portfolio that I am the custodian over. And certainly I can protect their money. I can invest their money. I told someone the other day, I can do that in my sleep. But what's more important is changing lives. And I think that's the money to work for the people that need it most. That's right. And so I think that when you look at the Advancing Equity and Banking Commission that State Treasurer Ferris and I have partnered on to address just what the WBEZ report had reported last year, when you look at the Municipal Depository Task Force that I took initiative on to say, although traditionally the treasurer had not been involved before I took office, Um, With the application process, with choosing the municipal depositories, I want to be involved because I know that change has to be made. And I'm so grateful for city council, the mayor's office, the comptroller to say, let's all partner together to change this municipal depository process. When you look at that, when you look at the change in collateralization, to be able to tell the community banks, we do not want it to be a burden on you to hold our money. We wanted to help you and we wanted to help residents. All of those things combined, and so many others, Fran, we didn't even get into the initiatives that I have for financial empowerment for the residents and all my partnerships that we're doing. Because there's so many things, again, leveraging. Leveraging, leveraging. That's what's important. I think this is why this role is so important. Your runoff opponent, Alderman Amaya Puar, wanted to create a public bank that could be used to implement a universal basic income pilot. He wanted to, he even floated a plan to sell or give Chicago and share in the water system and use city employee pension funds and investments to help solve the student loan crisis. Can we think that big? I think that we should think big. Um, I what also big ideas think, do you have on that front? Well, I think that one thing that I am, um, Fran, and I and I think that this is because of how I was raised—a very humble beginning. Fran, I work with the, the the hand that is before me, and so when you look at what's before me, what I can control, what I can work on right now, I have to work on. I think that the idea of a of a municipal bank is an idea that city council. Matter of fact, they bring it up probably every year in budget season, and we talk about the cost to the task force to put it together in order for us to review to see whether there's something that is palatable for the city of Chicago, and so that is something that the city council would have to approve. Well, guess what? I'm going to work on right now. That may take time for city council. They're trying to work through the budget to see what they're able to do. And so we can't wait. We would you like to see it, though? What would it accomplish in municipal? Let me tell you what I would like to see. I would like to see fair lending in the city of Chicago for residents. However we get there, Fran, is however we get there. It, but it, it, that's what, it, I mean, that is the truth of what I want to see. 77 neighborhoods. I want to see another report that shows that all 77 neighborhoods are receiving fair lending, that they have access to capital. And Fran, while I am in this role as city treasurer, I am going to work my darndest to do what I can to leverage the $8.5 billion portfolio that taxpayers have 
to be able to do just that. And before we let you go, uh, you and Mayor Lori Lightfoot had an early skirmish over uh, her decision to strip the office of its two bodyguards. Are you giving any thought to running for mayor in 2023? Do you think Lori Lightfoot can be reelected given her record so far? Let me tell you what I give thought to each and every day. This is each and every day. I give thought to the residents of Chicago have tasked me with such an important role that I absolutely love and I absolutely appreciate that they have empowered me to work on their behalf. And that's the role of city treasurer. And I would be lying to you if I told you I did not love what I do. (laughs) And I would be lying to you if I told you that there is so many things If I did not tell you, first of all, that there are so many things that I could be doing that I am doing on a daily basis to help residents. And I love it. And so I say this, Fran, there's so much work to do. There's so much more to do. I'm appreciative for the partnerships that we all have. And I think that if we all continue to work together, the residents of Chicago can be better. And so that that is my answer. And I know that's interesting. It's not that, an answer. It's not an answer. You didn't answer either question. Yeah. Are you giving I, any thought to running for mayor? Can Lori Lightfoot be, be reelected given her record so far? My thoughts that I give every single day is in my role as treasurer. That's not a no. The door is not closed. You haven't swallowed any keys. You haven't locked the door. Okay, I'll let you I'll let you off the hook and we'll uh, wait and see what happens. City Treasurer Melissa Conyers Irvin, thanks so much for joining us and good luck in the next two weeks with your daughter. Let the record show that she kept quiet during this whole time. There was no screaming in the background and it's tough being a working mom. I know that myself and we will see you all next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.